0: Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross that he might draw the whole world to himself, mercifully grant that we who glory in the mystery of our redemption may have grace to take up our cross and to follow him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen.
1: Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The word of the Lord.
2: A reading from the second chapter of Ephesians. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord.
1: This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew.
0: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
1: Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said that um, in the days of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, And remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, you be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say, you... You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ.
0: We give you thanks and praise, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you reign on high. That you are sovereign over all things. And we thank you that you are Lord of this church. And you are Lord of the church. May we, in all things, submit our lives to you. Pray that you would help us, um, grow us as your disciples, uh, we pray. We ask this through your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're beginning um, a new um, sermon series uh, uh, today that will go um, through the fall um, that we're calling Living in the Kingdom. I forgot to uh, get the title in uh, to the bulletin, but it will be there next week. But as the title says, Living in the Kingdom, basically we're we're wanting to explore and sort of dig into, delve into what does it mean uh, for us to live as citizens of the kingdom, right? For that to be our identity, where we find our citizenship, that we belong to the kingdom. And how does that shape us in all aspects of life, right? And so we're wanting to think through what does it mean to have a kingdom mindset in our work, and our family, and in the various areas um, where we live. And when we talk about a kingdom mindset, that can sound sort of like a cool thing to say, but we may wonder what, what does that even mean, I basically think a kingdom mindset is is captured, right, in the the prayer that we say in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? To actually live with that mindset, I'm longing for the kingdom to come. I want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that is what I'm doing. I am demonstrating that in my life. The anticipation of the kingdom, the reality that the kingdom is breaking in now, that God's rule and reign is at work in my life. And then I'm living out that kingdom reality. So again, we'll continue to think through what does that look like? What does it mean to have a kingdom mindset? Um, But today I want to think about one aspect of the kingdom, I think especially appropriate on our 17th birthday as a church, which is what is the kingdom reality of the church, right? What do we believe to be true about the church, right? Kingdom truth, right? And Maybe the world would say something different, but again, we live in the truth of the kingdom. Right, We actually affirm um, regularly, uh, pretty much every Sunday when we say the Nicene Creed together, we actually affirm four truths about the church. I don't know if you've caught that there are four in there in a very quick phase, right? But we say we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And those four words are each really important in describing the church. Right? So I'm just going to focus on one today, and that's the word one. We believe in one church. And we say that is actually a kingdom reality That there is one church. But let's just acknowledge that takes some faith, right? That takes a kingdom mindset to actually say there's one church because there's a lot of evidence to say there are many churches, right? Not just because we drive around and we see many churches, right? And not just because those churches look very different, right? Although they do, right? Worship styles, right? I mean, demographics, certainly as we look worldwide, right? There are huge differences in the church. But the fact of the matter is there are also huge differences in sort of what those churches believe, Right? Again, we say the Nicene Creed to say, look, this is the core of what we believe, right? But, I mean, thinking about this series, right, living in the kingdom, what does it mean to be members of the kingdom, right? We can imagine that series looking very different in other churches than we'll look here at Church of the Cross, the things that we'll focus on, the things that will emphasize the strength of our convictions. But there is great diversity, right? And sometimes that diversity is really exciting for us. You know, isn't that great how big the church is? And sometimes, right, it can be pretty discouraging for us. Sometimes it's actually super hard to look at some of the differences in the church, right? We can look at some other churches, again, around the world, around our community, and say, isn't it great that we're one church with them? And other ones that maybe we say, oh, I don't." are we one church with them? Maybe we can kind of, you know, downplay that. But the kingdom reality is there's one church, right? There is one church, and we are called to live um, in that reality, right? And, again, to be affirming of one church worldwide, one church throughout history, of course, it affects how we live as a local church, Right? If we are part of the one church, then of course that affects how we relate to other churches, um, part of the one church, right? but it affects how we relate to one another. Right? That oneness is lived out here in this local community at Church of the Cross. Right? and So we can think grand and big, and we should, and we can think very localized in this kingdom reality. Right? I want to begin actually talking about the challenge to that reality of one church, and then thinking about, in a sense, the solution, right? the, the answer, the reality itself. Right. You may say, why do you even have to talk about the challenge? <laughs> like we know there's a challenge to that reality, right? We don't even have to talk about but I think it's always good to acknowledge the scriptures acknowledge it's a challenge, right? We're not just pretending, hey, everything's great, or the Bible's sort of like, oh, you know, Christians always get along well, right? I mean, right there in the scriptures, we have serious tensions among Christians. We have serious challenges to the reality of the one church. And so that again can both be comforting, maybe a little discouraging to say, Oh, it happened then, it happens now. But that's just the reality. And so we can begin to acknowledge there is a real challenge. Right? Two times in our Ephesians passage, the word hostility is mentioned. Right? Now, again, Paul is celebrating that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. He's, he's, he's acknowledging you should not live in hostility with one another. But the fact that he's acknowledging that and talks about that he is acknowledging there has been hostility. And that hostility can still raise its, its, its ugly head up. Right, that that should not be the reality. That should not be what we live in, in the church. But the fact of the matter is, it happens. Of course it happens. Right, And it happened then, it happens now. Right? So he speaks about hostility as something that I believe can tempt us, can draw us, that we need to say, no, that is not the reality of life in the church. But it is a huge challenge. Right? When he speaks about the, the dividing wall, of hostility. You can see it there in, in 14. For he himself, speaking of Christ, is our peace, who made us both one, has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If we ask, what's he talking about there? Well, in the context of this passage, right, and, of course, the context in the early church, very clearly he's talking about Jew and Gentile, that there was division between them, and in the church they have become one. All right? And, again, we're kind of used to that if we were studied the Scriptures, if we study the New Testament. Oh, yeah, you know, Jew and Gentile became one church, right? But we should be amazed by that. Right? I mean, we, again, that term dividing wall of hostility captures how serious the divisions were and are between those two groups. Right? Most believe, actually, that um, Paul is using the imagery of a wall dividing Jew and Gentile um, based on a real wall that divided Jew and Gentile. In the temple, right, there was a wall that separated from, um, the place where the Gentiles could not go um, beyond. Um, so Josh uh, Moon helped me with this and uh, uh, shared with me that there was a sign, right, that clearly made it very clear Gentiles cannot go beyond this point. That says this: No foreigner, meaning no Gentile, may enter within the balustrade, right, the wall around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he be put to blame for the death which will ensue, right? Sort of, you know, shoplifters will be prosecuted to the fullness of the law, right? You are to blame for the death. Which will ensue, right? You will die if you are a Gentile and you go beyond this and it's on your head. That's a little hostile, right? Can we say, yeah, there's some hostility there. And in case we wonder, oh, well, maybe the science of that, maybe it's exaggerating. Look at Acts 21 where Paul, it's a rumor, it's not actually true. The rumor is that Paul has brought Gentiles, Greeks, they say, in beyond the wall, right, into the holy place of the temple, right, and they're ready to kill him. Right, they're ready to kill Paul for just bringing Gentiles um, back um, into that area. Again, it wasn't true that he did it, but there's a huge riot against him. That's how serious the hostility was, right? And that's the ball that the Lord broke down, right? I don't think it's a stretch to say there's hostility um, out there, right? In our culture today, in the world today, there's hostility right in here. There's hostility in here, right, if I'm to be honest, right? And we have to acknowledge, right, the challenge of the hostility, read a really interesting um, article uh, this week from um, BuzzFeed News, um, uh, uh, a, um, a journalist, Catherine Miller. And she was just talking about the anger of this time. She was specifically tying it to sort of the beginning of the summer. And everyone was like, man, this is going to be a great summer. COVID's over. Hooray. We're all going to be friends again. <laughs> and it hasn't quite turned out um, that way. Um, and she says, um, she talks about the anger as the pure kind of rage that hits first, and then flashes back up in un- unpredictable circumstances. The kind that functions like a magnet, accumulating little bits of detail and info that add to the cause. Like the kind where you just lose it. This is the anger and the hostility that we're seeing. She says this. In the grim year 2021, the Federal Aviation Administration has so far reported 4,090 cases of unruly passengers. 2,999 of them mask related which have produced 727 investigations and 143 enforcement measures. The trajectory of the increase over last year is steep. Right? And then she links to a chart where you can see it, sort of this line going along. And then 2021, boom, it's a huge increase. And people are angry, right? There's, there's hostility. And again, there's hostility out there. There's hostility in the one church. Right? And that's not new, right? I mean, we're glad Christians don't kill each other anymore in general. It still happens sometimes, but not as much, right? Over doctrinal differences. There's still hostility. It definitely has felt like in these last few years, especially, right? That we've become much more aware of the divisions, right? And sometimes of really wanting to mark in the divisions, right? The unvaccinated and the vaccinated, right? The maskers and the unmaskers, right? The political divisions, right? The divisions about race in America, divisions about education, right? We can make a long list. Right, those walls come up, and we can feel them. Right? And again, I think we've felt them in new ways over the last few years. Right? We've felt the hostility, right? and we need to be aware of it. Right? And it can creep into even Church of the Cross. Right? And I say that, again, after 17 years, a gift the Lord has given us, and I believe this with all in my heart, has been a great sense of unity. Right? It really has been a gift. I'm biased, right, but I'm constantly amazed at the grace and the kindness that people in our church lead with. I'm very aware of that right? But we felt it, right? Again, we've been sort of pushed into in new ways over the last few years, right? And being apart during COVID did not help at all. We just feel those walls. We can feel the walls rising, right? We experience that and push against them, right? And I think the temptation is to say, oh, the differences aren't that great. You know, that's not that big of a deal, right? But the differences are significant, right? I mean, I don't think we need to deny that. I'm actually not saying that we should deny the strength of our convictions around some of these differences, that we shouldn't really feel them very strongly. I don't actually think that's the scriptural answer, right? I mean, Jew and Gentile had significant differences, right? And Paul's actually not saying, you know, all those differences need to go. But what he's saying and what we say is what unites us is so much bigger than the differences. Again, the differences are there, right? There's significant tensions, but Jesus is bigger, I mean, it's just that easy, right? It's just that simple. Jesus is bigger than anything that divides us, right? Maybe that sounds, again, simplistic, but that's the message, right? And so what do, we, um, what do we do to live into the reality of our oneness, All right? First, we remember who we are, right? Or who we were, actually. <laughs> what unites us, right? I'm going to take two kind of broad things that we see in this Ephesians passage. One, who were we? Right, who were we? Remember. That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? You just hear the language there right, that he's using to bring out who were you, right? separated, alienated, having no hope, without God, far off. Right, all these images of disconnection, all these images of being separated from the Lord. Don't forget, right, that this is what what you once were. Right? He's not being mean here, right? You know, he's not trying to make them feel bad. He's just saying it's actually important that you remember what Christ has done, and you remember where you would be apart from Christ. Now, this is specifically emphasizing right Gentiles, right, the non-Jewish, right, which I think you know applies to most of us, not all of us, but most of us, right? Um, but but. But also, of course, he says later, right, he's reconciled us both. So even as he's emphasizing, look, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish folks need to remember the incredible privilege you have of being brought into the family of God. Right? You cannot forget right, that you are branches, right, as he says in Roman, that have been grafted into the, the tree. Right? And that should fill you in with incredible gratitude. Right? If there are tensions between the Gentiles and the Jewish people, right, he's wanting to make clear, you have to have gratitude. You have to be amazed at God's goodness of bringing you into the family. Right? But all people, Jew and Gentile, need the reconciling power of Jesus. We all need a a, a Messiah. We're all unified, actually, in what we were apart from Christ. Years ago, when I, um, I was doing an internship at a church in Indiana, and I was part of a youth trip, uh, to to Florida, so experience being a youth volunteer uh, with this group of youth. They went down to Florida. They were doing a number of different projects. And one day we were um, outside and we were doing some different projects outside for this community center. And a guy came walking by, and I started to talk to him. He was just asking, "What are you guys doing here? And who are you? And you know, what do? You, what's what's the deal?" And so I was sharing, "We're from a church in Indiana, and we're doing this." He was like, "What kind of church?" I said, "It's a Presbyterian church." And we were talking more, and then he asked a question. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but basically his question was. Um, along the lines of, what does it mean to be saved? Right, kind of asking me that. And I have to say, when he first asked me, I, I felt a little put out because I thought, okay, he heard Presbyterian, and he's thinking, is he really a Christian? You know, do they, does he really know the Lord? So I'm going to kind of test him a little bit and see if he gives me the right answer. And so I said, yeah, I'm saved. You know, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, right, in his death and resurrection. He's saved me from my sins. He's given me eternal life, right? When I said that, a huge smile broke out on his face. He gave me a hug. It was like... Isn't it good to be saved? And it was so moving. Now, again, I was a little put out, like, oh, you're testing me. And then I realized, okay, maybe he was testing me, but he also wanted to celebrate with me. Isn't it good to be saved? We, we have hope now. Apart from Jesus, we had no hope. Apart from Jesus, we were strangers. We were alienated. And we had a bond at that moment, right? I went from being a little put out with him, like, you know, why you giving me the doctrine test, to like, man, we're saved. <laughs> we're brothers, right? Isn't it good? That unites us, right? Remember who you were. Remember, apart from Jesus, that you were lost, right? That keeps us in a place of humility, right? If I've been saved, right? I mean, how can I be hostile towards anyone? And my sins have been forgiven. I've been given an eternal life. Remember, celebrate that in Jesus, right, we have peace, right? That truth, verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Right? I feel like that, that truth, Jesus himself is our peace, it's almost like you can kind of imagine a, an arrow pointing up and pointing down in this, in this passage from there. Right? He himself is our peace. Right? Who is the one that has reconciled us to God? Who is the one that has um, uh, you know, healed our alienation? Right? Who has made us no longer strangers? Who has brought us near to God? Right? It is Jesus. Right? He's the one who, again, because of him, we have peace with God. We are peace. We have eternal life. We have new life right? through Jesus. But that arrow in a sense also kinda of points downward and says, Therefore you have peace with one another. Therefore you have peace together. Right? So peace with God leads to peace with one another. Right. And that's what follows. For he's divided, he's broken down um, the again, dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, maybe you caught this if you heard that read, and then you heard Jesus in our gospel reading saying, I did not come to abolish the law. Were you like, wait a 2nd uh-oh, you know, I'm getting nervous here, right? You know, Paul just contradicted Jesus. I don't believe that's what's happening, Just not just only because I don't believe Paul would contradict Jesus, But actually, Paul, in his own writings, regularly refers to the law, right? And and later in Ephesians, right, he quotes the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, and quotes it saying, you should be doing this. This is part of the law, right? You're called to honor your father and mother, right? And so he's not saying, look, ignore the commandments of God in the Scriptures, right? Again, that would be contradicting other things he says in various places, right? But in the context here, we can see clearly what he's speaking about is those ordinances those things, right, that are no longer applicable that separated Jew and Gentile. So he mentions, right, circumcision at the beginning of this, right? And we know, again, from reading the New Testament, Paul's writings, right, circumcision was no longer required for Gentiles. Right? They could come into the family of God. They could be part of the kingdom. And they didn't have to, men didn't have to be circumcised. That was a change, right? It was no longer a sign that was required to be part of the covenant community, right? Gentiles didn't have to hold the food laws. And so basically the things, right, that would prevent Jew and Gentile from sitting down together, from being part of a community, from enjoying a meal together, those things have been removed, right? Those sort of walls have been brought down, right? And so they can still be Jew and Gentile. That can still be the differences, but they can be in one community. They can be one in Christ, right? Their unity is actually more significant than what divides them. And so then we have, in the second part, all these passages, all these um, you know, verses um, that speak both of, we've been reconciled to God, but we've been reconciled together, right? I mean, it's pretty striking, actually. It's like he's, he's going out of his way to say, this is true for everyone, right? And therefore, you share this, right? You, you have it together. So verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, right? This is, you've experienced this as individuals, but you experience it together, right? Verse um, 9, 19, uh, or verse, the end of verse 18. Then him, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, right? We both experience this. Those then you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You're members of the household of God. Right? The end, verse 21, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, built together. So I said, we see again and again the language of together, both, fellowship, right? This is something you're in this together, And it's not just, you know, he's sort of like, you know, a parent that's putting two siblings that are arguing in the same room and saying, look, you guys are stuck together. You're in the same family. So you better learn to get along, right? I mean, I think it's probably that. But it's actually, you need each other, right? Which is true, right? For siblings as well, right? You belong to one another. It's together that you are a holy temple, right? You can't actually be without one another. You're one body, right? You can't be okay with some members of the body not being part of the body. You kind of have to get along because that's the mission. Right, that's the vision. That's what God has done. To know Christ as your peace is to be at peace with one another, to be put together as citizens. And isn't it amazing, right, that we could go from a sign saying Gentiles are not allowed into the temple, right, to him actually saying you are the holy temple. In Christ, actually, the very presence of God indwells you. And again, that's true for us as individuals, right? We know the indwelling presence of the Spirit. But he's emphasizing, together you are the temple, right? Together as a community, you live this out. That is the reality of one church. Last week I talked about um, the importance of the offertory, being part of our service, right? Um, Even if we're not actually passing the offering plate around, even if most of us are giving, you know, online, that we still have a part in our worship service where we're saying offering um, our gifts is part of worship, right? Um, And that's also true for the passing of the peace, But that is part of the service, and maybe it's a part of the service that we can just think, okay, this is the stretch break, you know, it's the time to go to the bathroom uh, real quick. Um, uh, You know, but the task of the peace is liturgically, theologically really important, right? It takes place after confession, right? What do we remember in confession? Remember who we were, right? That apart from Jesus, we'd be dead in our sins. Remember who we are. We are forgiven. We are restored, right? We are new creations in Christ. And then we have the peace, and the peace is acknowledging we're at peace with God we're peace with one another. The peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. I've experienced God's peace, and I want you to know God's peace, and I want us to be at peace with one another. All right, but what does it take place before? Well, the passing of the peace takes place before the offering, right, before the giving of a gift at the altar. It takes place before coming to the altar to receive, right, the gift of communion of the body and blood of Jesus at the altar. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you're coming to the altar and you have something against your brother, go to them. Be reconciled. Right, the passing of the peace is capturing that reality. Right? This is the moment to say, you need to be reconciled right, before you give your gift at the altar, before you come to the altar, be reconciled. Now, I realize, right, oftentimes, reconciliation is going to take more than a word at the passing of the peace. Right? But that's a, a liturgical act that represents a spiritual reality. Right? This is, right, that act reminds us, oh... Reconciliation is important. And again, I know there's a lot that goes into reconciliation. I know reconciliation can be complicated at times, and so I don't want to deny that. But I want to acknowledge this is how important it is to Jesus, that he would actually say, stop your act of worship, interrupt your act of worship to go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back. He's saying that's part of your worship is reconciliation. That's how important this community is. I, like probably many of you, have uh, read a few articles on this week remembering Uh, September 11th and with the 20th anniversary being yesterday, right, grieving um, uh, and remembering, again, what happened to our country and and the incredible and heartbreaking loss of life um, uh, that happened uh, 20 years ago. I've been reading a few different articles um, of people who lost loved ones, you know, 20 years ago and sort of where they're at now and their ongoing um, processing of that and dealing uh, with that grief. One article I I read um, talked about a, a couple who lost their son I think it was in his 20s, was pretty young uh, uh, on September 11th when he um, died. And how differently they process that grief, right? Which happens a lot in married couples. And so the way the husband has processed the grief and the way that wife has processed the grief and continues to process that grief has been very different, right? And for 20 years, they've been processing it in different ways. And, um, and quite honestly, the way they look at September 11th even is quite different, right? With the husband really understanding what happened that day in one way and the wife understanding it very differently. Right, but they shared about how they've just fought to stay unified and to stay married, um, actually, in the midst of that. And the wife says this. She says, the reason we've stuck it out and we've stayed together, even though, you know, we've had such differences, is she says, my husband is the only person in the world who understands what it feels like to have raised Bobby and to have lost him. Right? There's only one other person who understands, right, what we lost that day. Right? What the, you know, other people lost a friend, right, but they lost a son. And that bond is bigger, right, than their differences. And I read that and I thought, not only is that bond bigger, but they're married. Right? They're one, right? I mean, they're one in marriage. They've made vows to one another, right? And to be part of the church is to make a vow, right? The baptismal vows we make. I just right? say what unites us is bigger than what divides us. Let's live into that. Jesus' help, let's pray. Father, again, I'm so thankful um, for the gift um, you've given us of being um, a local body, part of the one body, the church. Lord, may we, when we read passages like this one in Ephesians, may we just be reminded again of the incredible privilege we have to draw near to you, to know you, and to be built up together. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us. You would assist us, Lord, in the hard work it takes at times to be unified. Give us wisdom in working through our differences and loving each other despite that and truly living as one. Lord, I pray where there is um, a lack of reconciliation, again, you would help us, Lord. You would assist us in that. And Lord, I pray you that you would help us to love your church, um, to love all your church with all of its faults, to love it as you love the church. We give you thanks and praise, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord of the church and we submit ourselves to you in all things. Amen.